What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech. And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. For those who seek adventure, this is the Buffalo Roamer Podcast. Sharing the people, places, and moments that make a life on the loose worth living. The thing that's going to stick out to you most is when they open up that plane door. The cold is something like you've never felt. The jungle is so thick. Even if you had a machete, you couldn't get through it. There's a huge, blonde grizzly bear. And when it saw us, this thing put its head down, stomped on the ground, and hissed like an alligator. I just crossed this real stretch of desert and... I was really suffering. I'm your host, Will Collins. I'm an adventurer, outdoorsman, and roamer of wild places. I've backpacked the Brooks Range, rafted the Grand Canyon, and have canoed from source to sea both the Mississippi and Yukon rivers. I live for adventure, travel, fresh air, and diving into the unknown. And now, I hope to share my passion with you on the Buffalo Roamer Podcast. All right, here we go. Episode 43 of Buffalo Roamer Outdoors. Thanks for tuning in to another edition. Want to remind you, please subscribe to the podcast if you are not already. And make sure you'll get the latest episodes right when they drop. And also, if you're uh, digging the show, give us a rating or a review on Spotify or iTunes. Five-star rating and on iTunes, write a review. That really, really helps the show. So if you enjoy it, please, uh, please go ahead and do that. Okay, today's episode, Jackson Hill is on the show. It's going to be a fun one. This one's long overdue. Jackson Hill is a longtime childhood friend of mine. We've done all kinds of adventures in the backcountry over the years, but the main topic of today's discussion is our 70-day canoe descent of the Yukon River uh, from starting in Whitehorse in the Yukon Territory and then ending and the Bering Sea. The Yukon is the largest river uh, of Alaska. I believe it's the third longest in, in North America. Uh, it took us 70 days and it was just an absolutely amazing journey through the interior of Alaska and, and the bush and just an absolutely epic journey. So without further ado, episode 43 of Buffalo Roamer Outdoors with Jackson Hill. Jackson, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I've been uh, enjoying listening to your show the last two years on my drives, and uh, yeah, yeah, I'm stoked to be here. Oh, that's good, man. We just uh, you're uh, you're in Missoula, Montana, right now, and uh, we just did a trip in Bend, Oregon, uh, last what was it, a couple weekends ago? Yeah, I think yeah, two weeks ago. Skied Mount Bachelor in Bend, Oregon. So that was um, that was a lot of fun. It was good to catch up. And uh, dude, excited to talk about adventure and uh, and go over <clears throat> the mighty Yukon River uh, that yeah. you, that you and I paddled back in 2018, right? I, I think so. 
2018. It seems like uh, it, it feels longer ago. I know it does feel longer <laughs> ago, but uh, a, lot, a lot's really changed. <laughs> yes, it has since we were living on the mighty Yukon River. Well, uh, we've done. Uh, we, you and I grew up together. We've done um, so many outdoor trips and so much, so much stuff together. Uh, I guess first, give me like a breakdown of. Uh, maybe some of our trips together and and give me like an overview of the Yukon if you can and, and the Yukon trip that you would sit, talk to somebody about I guess that's kind of a broad yeah. question but well, I, I I think the first trip we did outside of um you know kind of going to ski areas uh was we're 18 and we did the Wind Rivers trip and we we went to Tickcomb Basin and you know did the classic kind of six day trip there you know we had peter irving with us and um, and i think that's the first time we really kind of broke into the wild and then uh from there um yeah it was about every couple of years we met up for backpacking trips you were in cu and i was at msu so i i think maybe the next one was kind of going up to the the bear tooths which um i mean i still up there with one of my favorite trips i mean just kind of yeah. just epic eight eight days off trail totally did not go as planned did not make it to the other car but uh <laughs> yeah just absolutely great trip yeah the wind rivers in uh wyoming the bear tooths in montana yeah and um but yeah then you know kind of working towards the yukon i mean that it all kind of started with uh you asking me to run the gunnison with you i think we did it over memorial day weekend maybe 2014 it's the first time i'd ever I think even stepped in pretty much a boat, let alone a canoe. And uh was kind of like, why have I been backpacking the last 10 years? This is so much better. <laughs> yeah, I, I convinced you uh, we were both in Colorado at that time. And this is the this is the early seeds of the uh of the mighty Yukon River, 70 days across Alaska and, and Canada. And uh yeah, the Gunnison River in Colorado near the I, I don't remember what section we did, but it was an amazing yeah, we, we, section. We put in a, at Delta, Colorado. Okay. And, uh, and took it down to um, White Water, uh, was it? Um, the the uh, the large town right on the border of Utah. Um, oh yes, uh, Grand Junk. No. Grand Junction. Grand Junction. Yeah. Okay, but regardless, uh, amazing trip. And at that point, we had both been you know, big backpackers and just wilderness, uh, people love getting out in the woods. And, uh, when I first took you on that canoe trip or when we went together, it was like, uh, it was like a shift change. It was like, wait a minute, there's all of these wild places. I don't have to take all of my gear on my back and crush my legs and knees and I can take the kitchen sink, maybe slip in a 30 rack if I'm feeling a little wild, which often we were. And, uh, and you're off for a great wilderness adventure. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it set off a whole, whole string of events over the next, I mean, up until now. Um, I mean, it, uh, and that trip in particular, you know, was kept, um, you know, I don't know if either of us have done it, but our group of friends now has done that, you know, pretty much annual Memorial Day trip since then for maybe six years now. Yeah, absolutely. Get a lot of rivers doing that. Yeah, and that was when we would do that was uh, Memorial Day in May, right? Is Memorial yeah, Day in May? Know, I'm showing try, try, my... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, Memorial Day in May, trying to find, uh, you know, the few rivers out there that you can actually canoe that aren't blown out and, you know, flooding and 
And so I was always kind of bopping around. Yeah. Okay. So just rounding on a few trips since we're going through them and I, I wrote down a quick list. We got the Wind Rivers. Just These are just a quick brainstorm that I did uh, of trips that we've done together. The Wind Rivers in Wyoming, a backpacking trip. We've done that uh, a couple of times. Um, Bear Tooths in Montana, we mentioned. We've done uh, Moab a number of times. We've done the Green River uh, in Moab canoeing. Uh, snowy mountains in Wyoming. Uh, we've done the Pintlers in Montana, the Pintler Mountains. Uh, Missouri Breaks uh, canoe trip in oh, yeah. Montana. That was a great one. Uh, we mentioned the Gunnison River, and then uh, we <laughs> had an ill-fated attempt at the uh, North Platte River uh, on the border of Colorado and Wyoming. Um, <laughs> where I ended up in the hospital and we had to, we had to cancel things, but that's but maybe a story for another day. Maybe down the line on the podcast depends how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that one was my only true failure of a trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was not great, but all of that uh, in turn built us up uh, basically to the Yukon. And h- how do you explain the Yukon River trip to somebody when you're out at a bar and your girlfriend, uh, Cicely's like, yeah, you know, Jackson did this awesome river trip or, <laughs> or, or how, how do you explain the, the Yukon River? You trip? know, that, that's a tricky question. Cause I'm sure it's changed over time and my feelings on it have probably changed over time. And, oh, yeah. and it's, you know, now it's so nostalgic and I just like, you know, I think, I think back on it and every single day was pristine, which I know it wasn't. And, uh, <laughs> Um, but I mean, it, it was just a hell of a trip. And, and, you know, for me, uh, I kind of just had the advice of you from your previous, you know, long trips, trips in the Brooks range and, and Mississippi and, and, you know, and thinking about those things you were telling me and not believing you and, uh, and thinking back on it now and how right you were by most of it. But, um, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, it was a long ways, you know, we saw a lot of country and we saw every landscape and the people and, and when I look back on it and probably the people we met, you know, probably had the biggest impression on me from the whole trip. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, so uh, so b- breaking it down as far as, uh, all, all that is absolutely true. And I'm, um, stoked to get into it. Um, and it's going to be fun to recall some stories, but breaking it down just from like a logistical perspective, if somebody had no idea what the Yukon river was, or even like what this trip entailed, like how do you bullet bullet list to somebody like, yeah, I sat in a boat and did this for 70 days or, or I guess just breaking down the river. Yeah. Well, well, you know, like what, what a lot of people ask me is like, so you guys just floated down it. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, if we, if we floated down, it, we would have went backwards. It was pretty much wind in our face the whole time. And so I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions people have until they hear about it is it was, you know, like, I mean, most days probably paddled eight, eight hours a day. We'd get out of the boat once, you know, not, you know, we, we had our, uh, our pee jugs, you know, we wouldn't even get out of the boat for that. And, <laughs> and, and we paddled and, you know, like a, majority of the trip is probably actually us sitting in silence, just, just paddling. Um, and, and, that, and that's really what it was. You know, there's a, there's a lot of river trips out there where they're not paddling trips. They're, they're floating trips, but, but it was a, it was a paddle trip. You know, we paddled and we paddled and we paddled some more and, um, and eventually, you know, 2000 miles, you get to the end, but. Um, yes. It's just, I, I completely agree. And just to set the scene a little bit. So the Yukon river, it's the, uh, third largest river in North America, depending on how you go. 
Um, and correct me and hop in here if I'm wrong on any of this stuff, but it starts in, uh, in Canada and Whitehorse and traverses all the way across Alaska and kind of bisects Alaska north and south, um, the largest river system of Alaska. And, and it starts in Canada, cuts all the way across, runs through all of these awesome, amazing native villages, uh, before emptying out into the Bering Sea, which is where we, uh, we finally caught a plane out of the Bering Sea, uh, out of Alaska and back home to, uh, to Montana at the time. Um, it was a 70 day trip. Yeah. 2000 miles. And, um, you're right. It was just, just, just an amazing journey. Yeah. I mean, uh, up until that point, you know, I'd probably been on, I mean, not a ton, maybe, maybe five or six kind of, uh, four day canoe trips, you know, some with you and, and on those trips, you know, we're doing 70 or 80 miles and it, it felt like a big distance, you know, we're out in the Missouri breaks in Montana and, you know, it feels like long ways. And then we get on the, the Yukon and some days we're doing, you know, that entire distance in one day, you know, the first eight days we, we did 550 miles and, um, and it didn't even seem that, that hard. And I, and I think part of that's the excitement of what we we're doing, you know, it was, I mean, we're just cruising and, uh, and we had goals and we had to keep them. And, and it sounds silly to think like winter's coming at August, uh, but it was true. I mean, the weather was changing and, and, you know, we had to get paddling. So, yeah. So we started, uh, in 2018, we started what in the, in the beginning of, uh, July, June, June. Yeah. We put in, uh, I think right at the first week of June, cause we, we had solstice, uh, maybe a, two weeks later in, in Dawson. Okay. And we took out 70 days later, I guess, which would have been what? Yeah. August 15th or August 16th. And, and I think we actually hit our goal within a day from like where we'd started. I think we kind of said we need to probably be wrapping up around August 15th. And then we did. And how can you are uh, in my mind, I think of like uh, three distinct sections of the river. Like you have the Canada section. And again, we're talking about a 2000 mile river just to give some perspective at the beginning. It's, it's, uh, you know, small and fairly narrow. And by the end of it, towards the mouth of the, of the Bering Sea there, it's, I don't know how many miles wide, but at places over five miles wide. Um, and so this is a river that changes a lot. And I, I think there's different sections that, that are kind of broken down on that. Like, how would you describe the different sections if you had to slice them up and just kind of with a broad stroke, like describe the different sections of river? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, there was kind of like maybe four or five distinct pieces. And uh, what's really interesting from where we started, there's a, a couple uh, glacial lakes high above the river. And so I think the top lakes were Atlan lakes maybe, and then it went down into Marsh Lake. And so we put in right where Marsh Lake actually turns into the river Um and, and what's interesting about putting in there is, is you only paddle about one day and then you get to a, a 50 or 60 mile lake crossing. So it's like you, you get like this very short time on the river. Then all of a sudden you're kind of dealt like this first big obstacle, which um, which uh, we got pretty lucky with. We had some bad weather that that first half of the day on it. But then we started the next morning and, you know, we had 50, probably 40 miles on that lake, just pure glass. And, uh, and then you do the next maybe a hundred miles and it's, it's crystal clear. So it kind of seemed, I mean, I remember the moment that, uh, that the silt came in. It was when we, um, the Teslin river, I think was what it was. Or the it white, was the, the white river, I believe. 
Well, there, there was the White River, which made it really milky. But, right. but then before that, it, it became it became murky. And uh, and it was right where that giant, um, that old steamship that we found uh, way up on the shoreline. Yeah, um, absolutely. We're, we're exploring that. So and in the then, beginning, um, it's a crystal clear turquoise, uh, like super colorful, vibrant. Like you can see the bottom and it's like, I guess turquoise, I think, <laughs> is the best way to describe the color of the river, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just the, the bluest water you can imagine. And what what are some of the other, generally speaking, uh, sections of the river from there? So that so then, like you said, uh, when the Milk River came in, which was maybe two or three hundred miles later, I mean, it went from murky to to really looking like chocolate milk. And you, you watch that water coming off the Milk River, and there's a reason they call it the Milk River because it, it just looks like milk. It's it's just insane. It's also where the river seemed to like, in my memory, started getting pretty big, and there's starting to be like debris in the river, and and the banks were getting like really tall and really cut. Um, and then for me, you know, I think you kind of have from there essentially to the Canadian border, which I'm not sure how many miles, maybe 400 miles. I think the Canada section was about 600 miles, 700 miles in total. Um, and, and you're, you're in the woods, you're in the trees. And then pretty much as soon as we crossed that border into Alaska, pretty much starting at Eagle, which was the start of, um, uh, the Charlie Yukon, Charlie, um, national wildlife refuge or national park. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just changed to the, the desert. Um, I mean, more or less, and, and, and the days were long and they're hot and, and it was tricky. And, and that's when the river became incredibly windy. And, you know, you had, we got really lucky, I think with the paths we took because uh, Will and I have friends here in Montana that, that we met on the river and, and they tell us their stories about going to the Yukon flats and, and having to go back upstream and drag their boats. And, and we yeah, really, it gets really caught in that. Gets really braided there, which is another distinct section of the river, right? Gets all braided near Fort Yukon, and and uh, it goes from being one real big channel into being like thousands of intertwined fingerlings. That uh, if you're not uh, it, careful, is is infamous for throwing people off. We were lucky that we had pretty good uh, fortunes through there. No, we we were, and. Uh... And we also had maps that were from like the 1940s some of them. and and half the islands, the sloughs that were on that map didn't actually exist or had been eroded out. And, yeah. you know, there was towns that weren't there. There was cabins that weren't there. Um, I mean, so, so we got lucky there. So and then for me, I think, you know, the next section would have been getting to um, the bridge crossing in Alaska. Is yep. That- the uh, the Dalton Highway crossing there. Uh, I think they call it Yukon Crossing. The one so there's two bridges in 2,000 miles of this uh, wilderness river, and uh, one of them is right at the beginning, which would be in uh, in Whitehorse, I believe, or or in Carmax. There's one in Carmax, Carmax, um, uh, First Nations village in in Canada, and the second one is where the Alaskan Pipeline and the Dalton Highway cross the Yukon River, called Yukon Crossing. And uh, other than that, there is no other bridge crossing this massive river, which is kind of wild to think about. But, yeah, so after or once you get there, uh, that river is what? Big, wide, kind of uh, like starting to get big, in your face. Single channel. Yeah. yeah. And um, and that's also when I think things got, got tricky. We kind of... Uh, you know, one of the major themes of that trip was just looking for water. And it sounds so silly that we're in one of the biggest rivers in the world and we continually did not have fresh water to drink. And, um, and I remember kind of, you know, after that, for the next couple of weeks, it was, uh, 
you know, anything we could find puddles. Um, I mean, we, we were at, to the point where we're like licking the water off leaves pretty much. Yeah. There was, it was, uh, <laughs> there, there's some funny stories in there about that. That's one of the things I have written about. One of the things I learned from this trip, uh, is a, we, we should have been settling our water. We're in this huge, really murky, dirty river. So as you mentioned, we were always looking for clean water to come in, uh, clean creeks and rivers that would pour tributaries that would come into the Yukon. And that's where we would supply our clean water from. But there were so many times that we were struggling to find those tributaries to come in. And we would, uh, I remember, excuse me, pumping from the, uh, uh, like tiny little rain puddle that had been there for weeks on a sandbar that tasted like jet fuel and, and died our uh, water seagulls sitting in it. uh, (laughs) Yeah. So I Uh, I think the next section, yeah, was that just that big white, just that big wide section. And, and, um, and I think that went to essentially extended to a town called mountain village, maybe somewhere past Russian mission. And then, and then that's when this tide started coming in and, and it actually yeah, we're working our way again. closer to the Bering Sea now. Yeah. So now we're kind of like entering the Delta. So then I'd say that Delta was kind of the final stretch. Yeah. And it, and it, and it kind of turned back a bit to the flats where it got very braided. We started going down a lot of side sloughs. Um, the, the wind was blowing. Yeah. Um, but, but it's just a big river. It's just, just massive river. Anyone who's been on, you know, the Mississippi, uh, the Mackenzie, the Yukon, the uh, Missouri and places like you kind of have a comprehension. Uh, and I'm sure there's all kinds of amazing big rivers around the world that uh, I'd like to like to check out. But, yeah, it's just just such big water. Um, OK, so we have like a general overlay of the different sections of the Yukon. What uh, do you have any? particular story that comes to mind as like a common story you tell or just like a a favorite story or moment or time from the trip that's a broad question but just i i do you know i I think i have like 10 of them you know like there's (laughs) there's there's like memories unfortunately that are like fading but that you know i have like my my 10 like like big memories and and some of them you know, I'm not even sure why I remember them so clearly, but like there's there's certain campsites. I remember one at the beginning where we're camped on a little small island, um, maybe on day four. And, the, you know, there's this pink sunset and, you know, it's actually a small river at that point. So there's shallow spots that might have even still been clear. And, and I remember that one. Um, most of my memories, though, are, are usually with the people we met. You know, I, I like my, my fondest memories are, you know, hanging out with Jake the Russian and hanging out. And, and um, tell tell the so tell the story of Jake the Russian. I'm glad you brought that up because I have all these memories written down, but uh, Jake the Russian was not one of them. So set the scene for Jake the Russian for me, who is a character that we met along the river. So, so I mean that that's a big scene to set. So the day before we meet Jake the Russian, you know, I think you know our, our provisions were getting low and we were coming into a town. I think it was called Galena. And when we and say so, town, we, we they are towns, but they're small. Uh, often native villages. So there's not a whole bunch going on. There's, you know, oftentimes, depending on the size of the town or the village that we're in, they're anywhere from, you know, 20 to two or three or 400 people is probably the biggest one, I would think. They're, they're not very big. 
Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of them, I mean, I know we stopped at some and there was no grocery stores, you know, we were so excited to get to some towns and then we can't even get coffee. And uh, so Galena was actually one of the, the larger towns. Again, it's still, there's no road access. There's only air and boat access. It's really far, you know, to, to actually get from a bridge there on a boat. Um, but, but we were excited to get there. And I remember the day before, you know, we're, we're kind of sitting there in the boat and, and we're getting antsy and we don't, you know, we, you know, we're really wanting a cold beer and, you know, and I, I think we both know, like, we can just get to Galena, you know, we can get some cold beer. And it was about every three weeks or so, you know, we could get a cold beer. And, and then the day before that's uh, we're, we're paddling along. I remember they're on the North side uh, of the river up against the shore and, and a, a motorboat came up to us really quick. And, and usually, you know, if motorboats were coming up to us that quick and not slowing down, we, we were kind of prepared to, you know, kind of be hassled with a little bit, you know, because we're, you know, they know that they're going to be throwing their wake at us and it's going to be an issue and the boat's so weighed down and our, you know, we're riding so low, but, um, but these guys all of a sudden kind of pulled on the brakes, pulled up and then like, look at us. Hey, you guys want some cold beer? And, um, and, and I can't remember the man's name now, but, but I remember it was his wife, Steven. Yeah. And him and his wife and, and, uh, and maybe the mother or grandmother in this boat and, uh, and so we get on the boat with them and, and yeah, we're know. in the, we're in the middle of nowhere floating, uh, super hot. It's 24 hours of sunlight. So the sun never sets. It just goes around, uh, on this massive river. Haven't seen really anybody for a long time. And like you said, this motorboat just starts beelining it straight for us. And like you said, we, we, they, they slow down, ask us if we want beer, we hop over uh, into their boat and start having a couple cold ones. Yeah, and not only were they cold ones, they were like good beer. I mean, they had like craft brews, and we're talking like the nearest like like you know breweries, probably you know seven eight hundred miles from here. Um, <laughs> and, and it was great. I mean, we tied our boat up to their boat, and then uh, at that point, we're about five miles from Galena, and, and they're going to help us out, you know, with getting some provisions and uh we're like well we'll just this is the only time we did it and we actually you know we regretful we we were like well we'll let you guys take us so we uh pull our canoe into the big front of this kind of fishing boat um a skiff and um and we start zooming the five miles to galena we only make it about a couple miles on that boat and, and will and i are sitting at the front of the boat you know the the drivers in the back and so is his wife and the grandmother and and all of a sudden you know we both see this this sandbar in the middle of the river and, and you got to remember this river you know it looks like the colorado river it looks like chocolate milk so like trying to identify a sandbar from distance is really tricky and there's so much silt that the sandbar locations are always changing and, and we hit this sandbar going going pretty fast and uh and beach the entire you know motorboat which you know even though it wasn't that big it's still a heavy boat I mean, yeah it was it, it, it was a solid aluminum uh i mean aluminum's light as far as boats but a big solid probably 18 foot aluminum skiff with a huge heavy motor on it and i remember we were flying and, yeah. and, you know, we just spent the evening just having like the, the best time ever, cold beers, uh, new friend offers to give us a ride. And then all of a sudden <laughs> all of our stuff in the front of the boat. And I just remember yelling like sandbar and then slide into the sandbar. And I remember our canoe and some of our gear flying out of the bow of the motorboat as we hit the sandbar and uh and flying off onto the sandbar which it, it was barely even a sandbar it was like mud yeah it's just a mud pit essentially that was like a half inch above the water 
And so, so then came the next like hour and a half of, uh, you know, us working with, um, uh, Steven trying to get the boat off the sandbar, which, you know, at this point it's, it isn't like, like some of the boats still in the water. I mean, the entire boat <laughs> yeah. is, is on this bar. This we were rocking bar. it, trying to dig out a <laughs> channel so that water could flow underneath it. Yep. And, uh, and I remember the, you know, the, the wife and the grandmother, they, they wouldn't get off the boat. So, you know, they're still sat on the boat as we're trying to get the boat back into the water. And then, and then we finally get the boat back into the water and, and Steven kind of looks at us like, all right, jump back on, you know, I'll take you the rest of the way. And, and the ladies look at us like, you ain't get back on this boat. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and so now, you know, they, they leave us on the island It's and it's a uh, storm was coming in and, and we end up camping on this. I mean, not an island, a mud bar. It's yeah, like a half bar. an inch above the waterline. All, all it takes is a little rain and like this thing is going to flood. But <laughs> we set up our tents. And, uh, and at this point we can almost see like the town we need to get to, but yeah. it, the weather is bad. So we, we camp, we wake up and I remember looking behind the tent and it's just like dark, black, purple clouds, you know, just like looks hellish. And, uh, and it's like, all right, we got to get all the stuff in the boat. We got to get packed up and we got to get across this river. And, uh, and it wasn't an easy river crossing. We had the barge, the wind was blowing, the waves were big. I mean, huge rollers. And, uh, and so we, we finally get across the river. We get to Galena and we get to this beach and, um, and how it happened a lot on this trip, you know, a random person came down and started talking to us and was so generous and, you know, brought us in and, you know, and I mean, you know, moving forward in that night, you know, at the end of the night, we're, we're taking shots of vodka and eating salmon, uh, salmon eggs that, you know, we were cutting out of the salmon moments earlier. It's teaching us how to fish with some of the native methods. I mean, it just, uh, it was incredible. Yeah, it was awesome. And Jake, the Russian was an interesting guy in himself. He was, uh, basically just like a recluse who lived basically uh, as a hermit in the middle of nowhere in Alaska off the Yukon river and took us in. And, uh, like you just, you said, he gave us fresh Russian vodka, uh, took us out fishing and, and we, we had fresh, uh, I don't know if it would be called, uh, caviar or uh what what would it it's not caviar it's uh I, I forget what they sell it as you know the, they sell it to the chinese i think it's not oh, yeah there's a term for it but yeah fresh uh uh salmon eggs with crackers and he was just like the most interesting oddball intellectual uh who i think i've ever met just like a complete yeah intellectual hermit in the middle yeah. of nowhere living by himself in a cabin in alaska yeah, no, exactly. And, uh, and, and one of the really funny parts about that, I remember him giving us our truck, his truck, you know, yes. he only met us like 10 minutes before he's like, Hey, take my truck. And there's only a few roads. Um, but we were able to take it to the grocery store and take it to the, to the beer store and, you know, get our things. And, and, uh, thinking back on it, it's like, there's nowhere we could have got, we couldn't have stolen the truck. There's no roads, <laughs> there's no roads to this town, you yeah. know, the farthest the truck could have made it from him is about a mile. And, uh, and I remember he was also really proud of us for like doing so well. Um, like get, getting our stuff that we needed and meeting people. And, um, but that's also, uh, in Galena, that's when we met that a really interesting, um, um, I believe he was a, a Swiss guy. You're right. Um, and, and this guy, I mean, was, was one of the most incredible athletes like I'd ever met in the world. I mean, he was, he was 60 years old and he was saying he was a butcher until he was about 50. Decided he didn't want to be a butcher anymore. Hadn't done any, any big adventures. 10 years later, he set the world record for the quickest bike ride from the most northern point of North America to the most south, southern point of South America. And it took him about like 105 days to go 25,000 kilometers. 
And so he, he, he was doing the Yukon River solo. And, and uh, you know, we're probably at this point on day 45 and he's on day like 16. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like more than twice our age and more than twice as fast. Just absolutely <laughs> crushing it. Yeah, uh, he had like a free three weeks. Yeah. Uh, we had a free summer. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It, it is one of the awesome things about these types of trips, though, and, and putting yourself out there. Like when we signed up to, and I say signed up, when we committed to doing this Yukon River trip, I think that was one of the most um, like surprising aspects of it to me, and maybe to you too. I don't know. You can say, but. Uh, after coming off of the Mississippi, like the Mississippi River, 103 days canoeing the Mississippi source to sea, it was all about the people, you know, and like the river towns and stopping in and like seeing the history of America and going on this Yukon River trip. I was thinking it was going to be like man against nature, um, you know, like uh, just crazy wilderness out there. Um but it also still comes down to the people. Like we met so many amazing people in some of these little villages along the way um, that are just living, doing their thing uh, out in what we call the bush in the absolute middle of nowhere, like living with, you know, little electricity, no plumbing, uh, bears everywhere, just doing their thing. And we met so many awesome people. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and it's just uh, for being in America too. I mean, it's a totally different world. You cannot believe that you're in the same country until you see uh, what it is up there. I mean, it's it's, um, and I'm sure there's other places. You know, I, I haven't been down south, and I'm sure some of those places on the Mississippi when you're in the bayous and stuff. I mean, it's it's just out of this world. But being up there for me, I mean, I had no idea that there was people that live this way. You know, in the United States, and um, and it, I mean, it's just eye opening. And, uh, and all those interactions with people are so special because we, you know, there was a couple of times we had some pretty big breaks, you know, like it, it wasn't like we're running into meeting great people every day. You know, it's, um, you know, we're kind of had these special moments because we would have these big distances, but no, um, I mean, I, I, everybody was just uh, incredibly generous up till the last day. I mean, I think that last day we, we were like trying to figure out what to do with all the fish people have been giving us. Um, cause like <laughs> every boat we pass would just drive up and give us a whole salmon and, um, and they would never let you refuse anything. So we're like sitting there like with all these salmon the boat, like, all right, we got to figure this out. What, what was your favorite? Uh, and then I want to get to some like wilderness stuff and animals and, and stuff like that. But what was, uh, what was one of your favorite, like, I don't know, like, like Alaskan or native takeaways. Like, you know, you got, for instance, you have like the fish wheel, you have, uh, like smoking fresh salmon, you have, uh, you know, the moose, uh, we, we, got, we were gifted, uh, moose ribs and like, like just the totally different style of life than you would get, you know, in Chicago. What, uh, what, what was your favorite aspect of that, that we ran into? I mean, I, I love seeing the, like the traditional culture. I mean, like, e even though it's modern times, I mean, people are still doing things the way they were a hundred years ago. Like we, we were looking at fish wheels that are stunning and they're so operational and they're beautiful and they're really just made out of uh, bent birchwood. You know, yeah. it's like, the, these are, these are not fancy things, incredible skill making them, but not, but there's, there's nothing, um, you know, technical, technologically like really advanced about that. And just seeing that in the same way when we, uh, 
when we stopped with um at the fish camp and you have to remind me that guy's name. yeah gino 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 and bruce and um i mean it, it was kind of like going into national geographic you know we wake up and we're essentially sleeping under a tarp that has like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fish hanging up drying you know just a bunch of blue tarps the fires under them i mean it, it really like you, you could have been doing the same thing 30 years ago you could have been doing the same thing probably 100 years ago yeah absolutely tarp material and that, that, that was one of my favorite stories too is is the fish camp story is we were somewhere in the uh, in the Yukon Flats um, where it gets real braided, and we're coming around a corner, and we see a guy. We see a huge fish wheel, and a fish wheel is basically it's hard to describe, but it's a massive like it's almost like a miniature Ferris wheel that's set in the water, and it's used to catch salmon. Salmon swim upstream, and they'll swim in this fish wheel, and the current of the water spins the wheel. And as salmon swim into it, it lifts up out of the water and then uh, basically funnels the salmon into a holding tank. Um, and so Jackson, we were like paddling over to check out this fish wheel uh, that was going. And all of a sudden there's a guy kind of on the point and he's yelling at us. And he's like, hey, come on, come over here. And so we paddle up and lo and behold, it's uh, this guy, Bruce, and his uh, buddy, Gino, who have set up their annual fish camp. And a fish camp, if you ever hunt, a deer camp is a, is a common term or elk camp uh, for us around here. But basically it's just a place that they go away from town, away from the village, where they set up for two or three weeks and they catch all of their salmon for the season and uh, for the year. And that's what a, a lot of what they sustain themselves off of. Um, so they have this like base camp essentially is, is a good term for it. They call it fish camp, like a base camp setup, And it's like an annual party basically of going to fish camp. And there's salmon hanging from trees all around us. There's a big smoking uh, center going on as we pull up and we end up staying the, uh, staying the night and the next day with them. And just that whole experience was amazing, man. What do you remember about that? I mean, I, you know, it all, it all started with cold beer again. Um, you know, <laughs> someone in the middle of nowhere with Go beer that's like 10 times the price it should have been offering us cold beer. And, uh, and I remember, and I, like in my mind, I got off that boat to be there about 15 minutes. And then like two days later, uh, <laughs> we're packing up, but, um, I, I mean, just like everywhere else, it's just the generosity. I mean, these guys instantly just started feeding us salmon and, and bread. And, and, you know, I think we, we had soup, they, they sent us along with um, that bag of, uh, I can't remember what the cuts were, but a big bag of moose. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but the, what, what was interesting was, uh, you know, I, I was always a little nervous of the fish wheels and, and, you know, there's some uh, territorial aspects with them. Like people get a little nervous. Yeah. It's like, their, it's how they but, feed their family. Yeah. So it's, it's easy for a boat to come up and like maybe steal someone's fish. So I remember like pulling up to that fish wheel and being like, when I saw that person, you know, thinking like, oh, we might want to paddle away. You know, we don't want to, have them think but calls us over and and um and so these fish wheels also stick out in the river it isn't like it's right on the shore so there's some really skinny slick you know wet birch logs essentially sticking out maybe 15 feet holding that holding that fish wheel off the side and and you know after maybe five or six hours there we're running across those those little logs with the kids and and these are like kids i mean i think there was like a five-year-old an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old and they're, they're running through this this these logs, these slick little logs to go get the fish out of the fish, fish wheel box. You know, the wheel spins, dumps them in a box. And, um, 
And at first I remember thinking like, there's no way you're going to get me to walk across one of those logs. <laughs> and, uh, and the, and the river's flowing, you know, it's, I mean, at that point I remember it was, it was kind of cooking still, Oh yeah. And, uh, but by the end of it, you know, it's like, we're just kind of doing the, doing the normal and, and walking across the logs, checking it out, acting like, you know, this is what we've been doing for the last 20 years. <laughs> and, uh, but then I, I remember being so tired leaving that camp, you know, we get back in the boat eventually. We made it about a mile and I think we got out and took a nap. And, uh... <laughs> I, I... This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! <sighs> and this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a Hefty Ultra Strong trash bag with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> Smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. I learned so much, and it was such an awesome experience. Yeah, the first day it was just Gino and Bruce, the two guys holding down camp. And then the next day we stayed with them, and, like, the whole family came. So there was a bunch of kids running around. And it was kind of like, uh, you know, it was a little bit like anarchy. It was like... Uh, Uncle Bruce and Uncle Gino uh, have the kids at fish camp for the week, and, you know, they're running around barefoot. There's shotguns and rifles, uh, you know, right, ne- right next to the thing. We're surrounded in grizzly country by, you know, probably 500 hanging salmon. Um, and, yeah, it was just a wild experience and, and an awesome experience. Um, what, how about uh, wildlife? Do you have any wildlife stories that come to the forefront? I got a few, but I'm curious what yours are. I have a few. You know, with, with the wildlife, though, what was crazy, and I think what I was expecting that didn't happen, I thought we were going to have bear problems the whole time. And so, like, you know I, know, I know you've talked about this trip a few times with some other people on the Yukon, but, like, I don't know, that, that first, like, three weeks, you know, we were so cautious. And anytime we saw a bear footprint, anytime we saw a wolf footprint or a cat footprint or even a moose footprint, we had, like, pack up. We wouldn't stay there. And by the end of it, like, you know, there, there's bear prints all over the site. I mean, I remember I remember there was one time it was that, that uh, we were camped on an island in the Yukon Flats. We paddled, I think, all night long. And, uh, and then we tried to sleep outside, and the wind was too bad, and we eventually go in the tents. But I remember – you know, that was still at the point where we're checking for tracks. So we got to that camp and I know we checked for tracks and we didn't see any. And then I wake up the next morning and, and you can see a bear, bear tracks going right out of the river and they walked right up to the tent and then they turned around and went back in the river. And so it's like, uh, it's, it's almost the interactions we didn't have that are probably like the scariest. Um, but, uh, uh, along, the, the moose along that lines quickly though. Yeah. Like exactly. Like you said, when we first started, I remember our hard and fast rule was uh, if we see any signs of bear, moose, uh, cat, uh, any fresh scat, any footprints around our camp, we'll just pick up and move to the next one. And then exactly like you said, like by the end of the trip or like halfway through the trip, we're like, well, that was a stupid rule. It's like <laughs> it's like it's, it's like uh, it's like walking through 
you know, downtown Manhattan and or Chicago and saying uh, if there's a Starbucks, you have to turn around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. And, and then when we got, you know, further in the trip, too, it's like it wasn't like the campsites were abundant. I mean, we were searching sometimes for hours and hours and hours. And like and I remember getting to sites sometimes and we're kind of weighing like, man, it looks like a bear was there like five minutes ago. Should we camp here and we're tired? And it's like, ah, <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I mean, it's probably fine. We'll just, we'll just say, hey, bear, if you bunch of times. <laughs> Keep in mind, yeah, we got no weapons, just a can of bear spray and uh, yeah, a bunch of food. Everyone thought we were crazy for. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't think we met one person that went like, yeah, good idea not to bring a gun. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the other time that sticks out probably the most and um, and it was later on in the river. So, so you know, a little background. It essentially didn't rain for like 40 days. Like I remember it was just hot and it was dry and like it didn't rain for, you know, the first like essentially month, month and a half. And then it started raining and then it didn't stop raining for a really long time. And um, and so we were in the rainy section and, and it was a hard day. And I remember it was, it was the classic. We kept trying to find a place to, to have camp. And, and it isn't like you can just pull off and like climb up the bank. The problem was where we're going through, there's like 15 foot tall cut banks. So there, there's no getting up them. They're eroding. You hear them falling in, you hear trees falling in the river, you know? So if, if you can't get out of the river, you can't get out of the river. So we, we paddled really, really late that night. And at this point it was getting dark and we get to the, we get to a sandbar and there's, there's bear tracks. And a little bit before that camp, we saw bear on the other side of the river um, in the distance. And I remember we get out and, and I don't even know if we heated it up, but we had like some Indian curry packets, you know, and we just kind of like ate them out of the bag. All we did was set up the tents and go in the tents. And, and I remember laying there and Will's maybe 20 feet away from me in his tent. I'm in my tent and neither of us have fallen asleep because we only got in the tents maybe 20 minutes ago. And you just start hearing like, bears growling at each other and it i never saw them so i don't know how far away they were but at the time and being dark and where we were it seemed like they were right outside the tents and they, i mean they're growling loud and and like fierce they didn't sound happy and i remember yelling over to you like hey what do you think we should do <laughs> and uh and i think we both decided like i'm not getting out of the tent yeah, <laughs> i think i i think i popped my i was like what do you think we should do i was like uh and we both started yelling like hey bear it's literally for what i remember it sounded like again you have to preface it by it was like we'd gotten to the tent just barely falling asleep we're right on the water but it sounded like two bears freaking battle royale in it like you know battling it to the death like right next to our tent is what it sounded like it was like the most like gnarly carnivorous like uh werewolfish type sound and grunting that i've ever heard and yeah i remember like popping my head out and then being like eh. i think i remember popping my head out and be like yeah they're not on our island we're like okay <laughs> yeah and uh and to think back like if we would have heard that five weeks prior we would have been in the boat down the river away from that but like at this point we were so tired and it wasn't like we were tired from that day I, I, for me at least i mean i was tired at that point i mean it was tricky and, yeah uh, and it, it just didn't matter it was like you know the, the bears they're gonna do what they're gonna do <laughs> the, the other one uh the other two that i remember that stick out to me are the first one which I've told before, but is the uh, the grizzly and the wolves um, right at the start uh, in the thirty mile section? There, it's like this beautiful, crystal clear turquoise section, and we had just come out of Lake Labarge, and we were 
turning the corner and we saw like a big grizzly. I remember we had some music going and we saw like this big gnarly grizzly bear, like a uh, uh, blonde grizzly bear, uh, you know, kind of parading along the side. And we were like, whoa, turned the music off, watched him. He kind of skirted off into the woods. And then uh, we turned around the very next bend and there was that three pack of wolves. And yeah. I'll never forget how like two of the wolves, big white wolves with like the red kind of tint down their backs and two of the wolves ran out uh, back into the woods. And then the one, which must have been the alpha, just like came down to the water's edge and just stared at us as we floated by. And we stared right back at him. That was gnarly. Yeah. I remember that being like one of those first moments of going like, what have I gotten into (laughs) day three? Day three, I've never really seen a wolf up close. You know, being in Montana, I've seen him through the scopes before in, in Yellowstone. But, like, you know, this wolf was, like, 25 feet away. Yeah. And it looked at you with this, like, kind of, like, smirky grin on its face. Like, <laughs> I'll kill you. And, uh, <laughs> uh, no, that, that, that was major. That was a good uh, one. And then the other, uh, all, all of these stick out. But all obviously all kinds of moose. It was, like, every morning we woke up. And there was like a massive moose right outside of our tent, basically. Um, Very, very common. But I remember one in particular, I think we had just stopped for lunch uh, or maybe we were like slow packing up, aka I was slow packing up. And uh, the moose was on our island and it was kind of like meandering around. And then all of a sudden it got in the water and we watched it like dive in the water and at this point, the river must have been like two or three miles wide. Like it was Huge. a massive channel, fast moving. It was probably moving four miles an hour, just the current itself. And I just remember watching this moose get in the river like, holy cow, he is swimming towards the main channel. He's really going to try and swim four miles across this freaking fast river and i remember watching him and him just getting washed down he was making his way across but just getting washed down until like his head bobbing became just a a dot like three quarters of the way across yeah no i remember the same thing i mean we, we watched him for miles and, and and i remember that it's one of those you know you're talking about what one of those memories that stick out like that camp for whatever reason i i can remember like every detail about and i can remember like the fire and uh, you know spilling my hash browns that i just spent like an hour trying to make and uh <laughs> <laughs> oh man um, I, yeah the, the the moose and um uh i i always really liked the cat sightings you know there, were, there weren't a ton of them but we we saw some lynx and and uh, that's one of the first times i realized cat cats can swim because i think every time we saw a cat was on an island and uh they had to get there somehow so <laughs> How about, uh, do you have a favorite town or village that we, we stopped through? Um, I mean, Galena with Jake, the Russian, yeah. uh, was, was really nice. And, and we, we ran into a lot of nice people there and, and, you know, we were able to get what we wanted. Um, I don't think Dawson counts, but, but, uh, I think Dawson yeah, counts. Well, it counts, but like, you know, we had these circumstances on the trip where, where I had eight, eight days in Dawson and, um, and it's just like the wildest, craziest, like it, it's like a so wild Dawson, west town. Dawson city in the Yukon territory. Uh, yeah. Keep going. It's, it's literally yeah. is like a town out of a Western. 
it, it's crazy. So, so Dawson was the, the center of the Klondike gold rush in it. And it's like, heyday. And so it's a town that a hundred, hundred plus 120 years ago had a hundred thousand people in it now only has 4,000 residents. Um, but, but it has still that old downtown infrastructure of, of what it was 120 years ago. So it's literally like, you know, like you're, you're spilling out of the bar through two swinging doors onto a wooden boardwalk, then down onto a dirt street. And it's like, it's like Jackson Hole if it hadn't been like all, you know, kind of faked and redone. Um, and, and so, I mean, it was just incredible an incredible place and then we stayed at this campground that was on the other side of the river and to get there you had to take this crazy this crazy barge like multiple times a day that was free and it ran all night long and and uh and it's just an insane place i mean you're at the top of the world and and we coincidentally ended up there for the something like top of the world biker festival yeah and it was um like the premier bike festival for like adventure uh i'm not sure what they call it but like adventure motorcycle riding you know yep. everyone with their yamahas and their bmws and you know their their big saddle boxes yep. and uh and uh yeah i mean just it was incredible memories that just an awesome town and it was yeah so it was one of the only hubs uh you know that was still connected to whitehorse which is where we started at the, the big city and uh, i was still early on in the trip but uh, one, one of the things that I thought of uh, earlier when we were talking and you mentioned um, not taking a gun with us and how everybody was so surprised. And that was one of the things everyone was, was uh, I guess, surprised with. The other thing is that I thought about is the, uh, uh, the shot, the, the sour, sour toe cocktail oh, I in Dawson City. Toe. Give me a breakdown of the sour toe cocktail. What oh, is the man. sour toe cocktail? So the sour toe cocktail. I can't remember the name of the bar, but uh, if I can find my wallet, I bet, I bet I still have my my little membership, <laughs> membership card. Membership ID. <laughs> but uh, what, what they have in this this bar is they have these uh, glass jars filled with salt that have um, amputated toe. <laughs> uh oh, we we have had. We we paused, we got paused for a second there. Um, yeah, one second. Okay, we're good. Hey, you there? You got me? Yeah, I got you. Okay, I got cool. You. Yeah, you pa perfect. Pa paused for a second there, but uh, okay, yeah. So I was at uh, I lost you at Amputated Toes, which is a great place to uh, to to pick back up again <laughs> yeah so 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 you, you go to this bar and you know it looks like a normal bar it's actually a nice bar and, and it, it, again like this classic west thing you know they had like a person playing the piano and they're playing that music you kind of hear in these old western music <laughs> movies and uh but yeah behind the bar they have all these glass jars filled with salt with these like black decrepit looking toes in them and um and what, what this bar is famous for is polar explorers and arctic explorers and people doing crazy stuff and people running the iditarod this is also one of is kind of commence and also the, the finish line for some of the biggest river races in the world um but they, so when people get their toes amputated it, it's kind of like a, an honor to then take that toe and send it to this bar so all their patrons can rip shots with it in the shot glass and um and so and it's, a, uh, it's a drink they're famous for it's on like lists of all kinds of like the oddest and strangest bar and restaurant offerings and it's called the sour toe cocktail yeah. So next time you're, you're ripping a shot with a cricket or a scorpion, in it, just just know there's <laughs> one out there with a human toe in it. And and, uh, and, and 
all, all kinds of funny things about this story. But the one thing that I remember is that we had known about this drink. And literally, it's, it's a mound of salt. The guy, there's a guy there, Captain Dick is his name, funny enough. And he... Yeah, uh, I just read a great article on him, too. Really? That's good. Yeah. He, uh, he sits behind a, a desk with a huge mound of salt, takes one of the amputated toes, sets it on the mound of salt. People pay and line up. They have a drink of their choice. You go up to the bar where Captain Dick is, set it down. He puts the picks up the toe off the salt, puts the toe in your drink, says some little rhyme about uh, how the toe has to touch your lips in order for the drink to count. And there you go. You take the shot, and the toe falls and touches your lips. And yep. it's absolutely disgusting even just to talk about it and to think that we did that and the funny thing is is i remember as i mentioned is that we'd both known about it it was like a known thing it was like dawson city has this It was like oh my god that is so disgusting there is no way that i am ever doing that there's no way i'm taking a shot with the human's toe in it and And then we had a few days off in Dawson, and we were bellied up at the bar for a couple days, and we watched all these tourist buses come through with, uh, like, moms from Indiana lining up to take the shots, and we sat there for, like, three days. It's like, gosh darn it, if, uh, you know, if Nancy over there is ripping the shot, I guess I have to. No, I mean, I mean, really memorable. <laughs> and I, I remember too, I mean, it was just the most uncleanly thing, you know, that could possibly be going on and like the person coughing on the toe before like even putting it in the drink. And, and these toes aren't just like dried and shriveled up. They're like flaking off. There's pieces. Torn off. They're like, they're like completely falling apart. And uh, what, what, what I wish I knew is whose toe we ripped, you know, like, I, like, I hope it's some like big, I did a rod winner. Uh, so but, uh, gross. Yeah. What, what, uh, yeah, what, what for you? Like, you know, another big part of that trip for me was, uh, the food, you know, and like, like, uh, and I, I've thought a lot about, you know, that, that, that trip kind of set a lot of precedent for like cooking for me on the river since. And there's a lot of things I adopted. But for me, like, I remember there's like four or five things food wise that essentially like saved my life. Like, <laughs> like, did you, did you have absolutely like a couple meals? A- absolutely. I think there's, a, there's a lot, a lot of things that are stuck in my mind. I think that I am not as food uh, centric, but the things that uh, stick in my mind, a couple things. Um, one is that for breakfast uh, for like the first felt like, like the first half of the trip, for breakfast every morning, we would have multiple cups of coffee, and then we would have rehydrated hash browns, but not fried. We would just put them in our uh, in our cereal bowl, our little Nalgene breakfast bowl, rehydrate them cold, and put Parmesan cheese on them, and then just eat the cold, <laughs> raw, rehydrated hash browns with parmesan cheese and i remember actually liking it like being like ah yes <laughs> calories like this is pretty good yeah, me too <laughs> so that but, uh, i do remember it was a game changer though when we were like oh we could fry this <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like wait a minute we don't just have to eat them cold rehydrated we could actually just make a fire and stick them on the frying pan so that that, that was one of them for me um another one of course was the peanut butter uh, Ritz peanut butter sandwiches that I had like 10 million of. Life-saving. I I smuggled them back uh, 
when I, when I flew in to Dawson City and the Canadian uh, Border Patrol, I didn't mark them on my customs. And I had like a, literally a whole backpack completely stuffed to the brim with uh, peanut butter sandwich crackers. And I remember the border agent stopped me in Ottawa and was like, excuse me, sir, what's going on here? I'm like, uh, you know, in like half French. And I'm like, oh, I just, uh, I'm going on a canoeing trip and I'm going to be eating all of these. She's like, <laughs> she's like, this is like several hundred dollars worth, worth of peanut butter cracker sandwiches. Like you have to declare this. Yeah. Uh, I remember there was two, two things you had to get, you know, it was more peanut butter crackers and a solar panel. And that's like all we needed. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> um, so that was another one. Uh, a couple other uh, things that really stick out. One would be all of the fresh salmon that we had along the way. We prepared it and had it prepared for us so many different ways. I, you know, between the salmon, uh, salmon sticks is not the salmon strips. Um, yeah, kind of jer- jerky style. Yeah, jerky style. Uh, the salmon canned and jarred uh, and seasoned with olive oil. I think that was some of the best. Um, yeah. What about you? Um, well, yeah, the, the, the potatoes with the, the Parmesan, I mean, that, that was a big savior. Like the, <laughs> you know, p- p- people got to understand, you know, it, it isn't like you have a cooler. Like we, we started with hundred percent dry goods, you know, and that's, that's all we have. You know, we, we, I think one time we bought eggs. So, uh, but the second half of the trip, uh, it was berry season and we started being able to make all of the raspberry and blueberry pancakes. That's right. And that was like incredible. I mean, every time we had it. And I, and I remember like, I mean, I remember one day right at the end, maybe like four or five days and we've been in the rain and it was like that day the rain like stopped. And I remember like when that blue sky opened and we're sitting there like, it's just going to be another sucker hole, <laughs> which a sucker hole is like a little piece of blue sky that doesn't actually turn into anything. And then it opened up and I remember like right next to it, we had that big berry kind of field and, yep. and, um, and like there, there was a big turn, you know, like, it, like for me personally, I think like the 10 days prior to that, they're hard, like, you know, weren't the most enjoyable have been raining, you know, for weeks and weeks. And then we had these like amazing last five days, but uh, at the end of the trip in that rainy season, it was when all the berries were popping. So we were able to yeah. do the raspberries and the blue, uh, the uh, blueberries. And they had those, um, the smaller ground berries that we're eating. I forget what they're called. But, yeah. They're really good. Um pesto night for me was always a really good one I, I really <laughs> we, we had a good I amount like, of pesto nights i remember a pesto yeah. with uh with some fresh salmon one time that was a, a highlight towards the end of the trip yeah yep and um with a lot of curry but uh another thing you know it's like it, it isn't like we had the coleman either you know we, we did all this on like one single whisper light yeah we had a whisper lighter <laughs> mo- most of the time too lots of times we were just cooking over the fire um which I, I like doing and we should do more of when we go camping now. No, that, that kind of changed my way of cooking. And, and some of that started because Jackson bought the wrong type of fuel, bought a gallon of the wrong fuel in Dawson. And so we had the, <laughs> I forgot that, about that. <laughs> that, that dirtier fuel that wouldn't run through our fuel lines. That's right. Yeah. You bought, we bought a, uh, uh, right. Yeah. Slightly dirtier fuel that wouldn't work through our whisper lights. Um, so we were cooking over all open fires. That's right. Um, what, uh, what you mentioned, you know, like the challenging parts, the, what, what were some of the overarching challenges from your perspective? You know, uh, for me, it took a little while to like accept, I think like what the trip was and the length, you know, that I feel like I had a 
a good chunk at the beginning where I'm still mentally like fighting the length. And I, and I remember you telling me before we started, you know, uh, you know, you just got to kind of go with the flow and, and, you know, it's, you know, like there's no need to rush anything, but, but, you know, on a, on a trip that long, you know, you, like you see sometimes when you're not making the miles and, and you know that there's still like 1400 miles ahead of you and the weather's yeah. getting bad and, and, uh, and it's hard not fighting the time. And, and another thing with, with kind of with the time is, is you, we disagreed on the watch. And so I wore a watch and, uh, and you didn't wear a watch. And, um, and I, and, and I think the watch beeped every once in a while, like every hour or something, the watch would do a little beep. And, and it really wasn't loud, but like when it's the only thing that's happening, like in the day is that beep, um, you know, like it, like it drove you crazy, I think. And then, um, and then I remember I broke the watch and like, for me, that was like a big moment. Like I it's like, Shit. you were freed from the watch. Like I broke the watch. Like, how am I gonna like? And, and it, it's tw- it's like twenty four hours a day. So like trying to tell like what time it is. And like for some reason, like at the, the beginning, like time was like a really comfort to me. Like like being able to track time, being able to track progress based on like the watch that was on my wrist. Right. Was huge. And and I remember, and I, and I can't remember what I was. Doing. I think I was trying to like get the beep to turn off so like it <laughs> yeah. stopped bothering it. And I, and I ended up breaking the watch. <laughs> but but that was like that was a. a a real good thing to happen actually when i look back on the trip and some of the things that you told me i should do at the beginning and like at the end of the trip i'm thinking like oh i should have just done those things from the get-go and the watch was one of them you know we're in this you know incredible trip and there's few trips you get to do where like the sun doesn't go down for so long and and like getting lost in time is actually like really kind of pleasant and and so and we're going and when we had 24 hour sunlight was when we started the yukon flats you know that was around solstice um, and that's when we were most northern. We just crossed the Arctic Circle for a little bit, and um, and yeah, I mean, if without a time or a phone, I mean, you, you could really have no idea like what was happening. Totally. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I think just dealing with with that, and then um, the other really hard parts were, you know, we we never didn't paddle because of rain, but we we couldn't paddle because of wind. Yeah, there were and, several um, days we were windbound. Yeah, you know where you know Will and I are in separate tents, which. You know, that's probably one of the best choices. We've <laughs> that made. was by far I, the best choice. Yeah, I can't imagine like what it would have been like being in a tent with someone. But but we had a couple of times where it was like two or three days. And, and again, it's not getting dark and we're just laying in a tent and it, it's blowing so hard that there's no point to be outside. And so you, you just laid in the tent for three days. The light didn't change. You don't really know what's happening. And, you know, you take a nap and you wake up and, and the wind, all the sand blown under the fly and you're covered in sand head to toe and you're just laying there. And I mean, th- th- those are tricky. Um, and I, I remember one in like particular, I mean, it was really long and it was just like, it was never ending. I mean, without the light changing, there's just nothing to like, yeah, just laying there. 24 hours sunlight. I remember exactly what you're talking about too. There was two times, but one in particular that I remember, yeah, we were windbound and it had been kind of nice out, so we were just being lazy. And, of course, the, the one time you're being lazy is the one time it, it crushes you. We, did, we didn't set up our, uh, <laughs> our rain fly over our tents. And, of course, in the middle of the night, it picks up and starts getting really <laughs> windy and whips all of the sand into our tent. So I remember I get up in the middle of the night already drenched in, like, two inches of sand. And I put the rain fly on, but I don't stake the rain fly out all the way in like a sleepy stumber. And, uh, and 
then it just so happened that the rain fly was whipping and it was such a way that the inside of my tent just became like a funnel. Like the sand was coming in and just getting like, you know, riptide it around like a washing machine in within my tent. And there was just sand everywhere. Uh, that was tough. <laughs> the other thing, uh, <clears throat> the other thing that I remember that you alluded to too, which was tough was the weather towards the like, what I recall being like the last maybe quarter of the trip or so, uh, it was just like everything was perfect, hot, sunny, 24 hours of sunlight before. And then all of a sudden as we started working our way uh, into August and, and a little bit before, it was just like shitty rain, windy clouds. I remember there was like a two week stretch, what is what I recall of <clears throat> straight clouds, rain, wind, where we could not get any of our stuff dry. It was like we were soaked in our rain gear. The rain gear wasn't really doing anything because it was just thoroughly drenched anyway. And then you get out and you like set up the tent or bug tarp and like strip down and all of your clothes are just like completely soaked and you might have like one or two pieces of dry stuff from the day before but it's still probably a little damp anyway it's like the those those times were kind of tough yeah oh, it, it weighs on you and um and i remember in those times too i mean it, it was cold too like i remember getting out of the boat and running sprints and doing jump, jumping jacks and like like just you know we're sat there so long you know and your your legs are kind of losing circulation from the canoe seats and and just being so chilly. Um, I mean, yeah, it was, it was really tricky. The, the weather change. Um, and what's also tricky with the weather change is like, you know, the first 40 days are all sunny, but that's also when all the nice campsites were when it was like gravel bars and nice places to camp. So as soon as the rain starts, that's also like when we started like just camping in like these muddy, like willow groves that are overgrown and there, there's, there's no nice places to camp, you know, it's, it's just like, so you, you, you can't even like do the yeah. gravel bars anymore and there's no wood anymore because they're so far from the forest at this point. And um, so you're trying to like mix, like you're getting the worst of like all these things all at the same time. And, um, and I remember like myself, like, I mean, more than once, you know, losing my temper a little bit and, and eventually just like, you know, I had a couple breakdowns and, and, I, and I, in my mind, they're all short lived. Uh, uh, <laughs> no. Well, it, it's funny that uh, you say the watch thing because I have like a couple of things that I've thought about too, but I didn't even remember the watch thing. I, I didn't even think about uh, your watch beeping or like, uh, you know, any of those things. I didn't even think about it until you tell me. But the one thing that I do think about is that uh, I remember, I think that we were, you know, we were pretty, we were smooth sailing throughout the whole trip. And that's pretty good considering two guys who spend, you know, pretty much 24 hours a day together in a boat in the middle of nowhere for 70 days nonstop. Uh, you know, that's a lot. That's a lot of anybody, no matter who you are, uh, especially when it when it takes teamwork to to complete the task. Like it doesn't work unless you can you can actually work together. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And and we crushed it and we did great. But uh, the one thing I remember is I think I was uh, just like sleeping in a bunch, and I didn't realize how much earlier you had been getting up than me, uh, which of course is classic, and. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, so there's a little little mis- miscommunication on the uh, on the schedules, which I think we worked out. But uh, no, I, I think we did too, and and I think there's so many factors too. Like I, I remember one like one time getting particularly upset with you for like sleeping in, and I think like out of spite, like I packed up all my stuff. So like when you had gotten out of your tent, you know, like my stuff's already all in bags and barrels, and, like ready to go. But I, but I also remember that like a lot of those times when that kind of stuff happened, like we were also out of water. Yeah, you know, there's like these these other factors where it's like like we didn't have water we didn't have coffee like you know like i'm like got like two sips left to my analogy and, and the only place to get water is to like get on the boat so it's like yeah you know, these com- these compounding things and uh <laughs> yeah but I, I i'd say it's pretty good i would say though uh looking back on it if you were to do things do it again i guess i'll start since it's already on my mind I, I, my question is what would you do differently I think I would I think I would take two individual boats. Remember we saw one other group that had like two uh kayaks. Um I think that would be a good way to do it just because it splits up the time. Uh you're not locked with, you know, Jackson stinky butt uh all day every day. I can get a little bit of my own fresh air. <laughs> no, I I agree. I I think doing it in two boats. I would be great. Me personally, you know, we saw a lot of people doing it solo. I don't, I don't know if I'm like strong enough mentally to actually spend that much time sure. alone um, with, with how few people you actually see on the river. Um, uh, but, and I know at the time, I'm sure I was not thinking this, but looking back, like I would extend like the beginning and the end of the trip by two weeks each, you know, like try to just get as much time in there, do those upper lakes, do Atlan Lake, do all of Marsh Lake. Yeah. Um, when, when I talked to, uh, we, we met these guys in um, a little village kind of maybe 15 days before the end who we became great friends with. One of them became my roommate. Well, one of them became Will's roommate when he got done with the trip. Then another one of them became my roommate about a year later. And it's all just coincidental. But um, they, they had done all the upper lakes. So they, they got a couple hundred extra miles of lake paddling doing the, the, the true like source lakes of this river. And um and there's a couple things, you know, I remember with Patrick, so I met this, this incredibly nice man, very shy man named Patrick. Um, and I can't remember the name of the town. It was by Russian. He was in, um, he was in Russian mission, I think. Okay. Yeah. My, yeah. It was yeah. Russian mission then. And, and, um, and he offered to, to take us on his motorboat back up river and hike this mountain. And, um, and at the time it was just like, we got to get done. You know, like we've been sitting in the rain for a few weeks We're we're 10 days from the end. You know, every day we take off, it's another day, you know, we're, it's another day we're on the river, we're in the rain. And, and like, those are the things I look back on, like, you know, I should have went, should have yeah. went hiked that mountain, should have went moose hunting with someone, should have like done these things. Um, but, but it's all, it's always easier to say it, you know, after the fact. Too. Yeah. Absolutely. In, the, in the time we're tired, you know, it's, uh, and, and we had a mission and the weather wasn't, wasn't getting better. Yeah. You know, so we, we did have to get down and, and, uh, but I, I, yeah, I know right. what you mean. There, there's always opportunity for more. And it's it's always, especially looking back on things, right? Like looking back on things, it's so much easier to see from a broader perspective. Like, yeah, take your time. Like, uh, enjoy it. You know, explore every aspect. But when you're in the moment and like you said, you're hungry and you're cold and you're wet and, uh, you know, you can see the finish line on the horizon, it's it's harder to stay to, to see that perspective, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And, um, 
the, the other, so like, you know, I, I like to think in future trips, you know, things are going to go a little different. I know like, you know, that there'll be more talk than like actually like I, I, I would do, but um, yeah. I mean, if I could do that trip one more time, it, it'd be to add time to it. Just <laughs> even though we like, we went slow sometimes and we're probably slower than most people's trips. Like, I mean, yeah, you could stretch it out. Yeah. There's no reason, no reason to rush. Enjoy it. Right. And so the, the, the other uh, story and, and thing I want to talk about too, which I've written down and we forgot to mention, and then we'll slowly uh, r- wrap it up, uh, is the other people that we ran into that stick out to me is our interactions with uh, Jerry and Scott in the Yukon uh, Charlie Preserve. Uh, these two, <clears throat> two guys that we ran into, we were just crossed over the border into Alaska and we're in this uh, national park, basically a for, uh, Yukon Charlie River Preserve, I think is what it's called. And we uh, it's like 3 a.m. The sun is still out, as we mentioned, 24 hours sunlight. And we just uh, set up our tents and, and gone to bed. And all of a sudden, I remember you poked your head out of your tent. And you're like, is that a motor? And I was like, you know, in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, in the middle of the night, we're like, Oh, a minute. I think that is a motor. And these two guys uh, pull up and they're, uh, I don't know, maybe mid fifties, maybe a little older. And uh, they hop out of their motorboat and they're like, Hey, can we, can we camp with you guys? And uh, we're like, yeah, sure. So basically they come down and uh, we start talking to them and they're two uh, uh, vets, veterans and, and, guys who are still in the active service, I think, and have been all over the world. And, and we end up spending basically like three or four days uh, cruising with them and them telling us all their stories. And uh, that, that interaction was a fun one. No, that, that was great. I mean, one, one of my favorite lines from like that trip is like these guys getting out of the boat. And, and again, you know, like we're, we're on a dry food diet, you know, we, we rehydrate things, we're eating powdered sauces and and i don't know which one of them gets out of the boat and their boat was a little out of control so like we kind of go out there and we, we help them get it up onto this rocky bank and and they go like you guys like porterhouses and like <laughs> it's like hell yeah we like porterhouses like, and, and, they, and they, like, they like pull out these like 20 ounce steaks you know that like i just like we haven't had for for weeks and uh and just i mean it was just great and i mean we must have stayed up to like six in the morning yes absolutely night. and i remember and, the, uh so many funny stories about it but as we were unloading their boat again you and i uh were packed for this 70 day trip as you mentioned we've got all this dry food we're fairly lean i mean we have a lot of stuff in the boat but all of our stuff for 70 days and then these guys come by all we have is bear spray with us and these guys come out like they're looking uh Oh, you know, they're ready to uh, overthrow the capital or something. They've got uh, yeah. they've they've got so many rounds of ammunition, fifty cal's, rifles, pistols, uh, you name it. They had everything on there, ready for bear attacks. <laughs> oh man, it, it was insane. I mean, they, I mean, they were they had you know like pistols in each thigh, you know, like a gun draped over their back, another one in their hand. I mean, I, I remember the next day at that at that really crazy cabin we stayed at. Um, Another one of the most the trapper parts cabins. of the trip, yeah. the trapper cabin. Yeah. You know, you, you find these cabins um, on the river in Alaska and a lot of them are public use and you can use them, but they're, they're kind of like ominous looking. You go up to them and you know, all the blinds are shut and it isn't just like wood, wood shutters on these things. It's wood shutters with like 10 inch nails sticking out of them to stop the bears and the, and the cats and whatever from getting in. 
and will, you know, and, and so we're in, you know, week four of this, we've been doing this for a while, you know, we feel comfortable. Will goes fishing as he does. And, and, um, and Jerry and, uh, what was the Scott. other guy's name? Scott, uh, you know, they just could not handle it. They were like, they were positive. So I'm standing there with them and they're just positive. You're going to get eaten by a bear. And, uh, and I remember Scott looking at Jerry, just going like, yeah, I don't feel good about this, Jerry. Jerry, get that rifle on him. And Jerry gets there on the log and, and has the rifle not pointed at will, but just like pointed in your direction to shoot a bear if it comes. And then like you're out on the this peninsula and you kind of walk around the edge and you go out of sight. And, and Jerry again's like, yeah, I don't, I'm not liking Jackson. You get get in that canoe, go find him. And uh, <laughs> of course, I was just around the corner having a good time fishing. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no problems. There's yeah. nothing, not, nothing happened. <laughs> Uh, those guys were great, though, man. Some of their stories from the military service around the world, and uh, and we sp- ended up spending a few nights with them, just kind of floating along with them. Those guys were awesome, and I remember shooting their uh, fifty cal at uh, empty whiskey jugs, <laughs> which uh, maybe is not the best. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I have a picture of one of those rounds in my hand, and it's like the length of my entire palm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, those guys were good. Those guys were good. So, what what was your uh, what's your overarching takeaway from uh, from seventy days across the Yukon? You know, it was a good practice and patience, and uh, and just slowing down. I mean, I remember one like like thinking about like even consciously on the trip thinking about how I wasn't really thinking about anything. Like at some point your mind kind of clears and you're like, you're just like, there's, there's nothing worth thinking about. You can't stress about anything because you're not going to get anything accomplished because you're, you're on the river, you know, for the next couple months. And so like, I remember like just that piece of like finally getting to a place where you don't actually have to worry about everything. Cause everything's out of your control. And, um, and like that just being like one of the greatest parts. And I think that's what I like, I, I want most, you know, like in doing another trip and you try to get that with these short trips, you know, we do all these four or five day trips, but you only get that one little like three hour window somewhere on like day three, where like, you know, you're still a couple of days from the end. You're past all the bullshit of like trying to get the trip together. Yeah. Um, where like on a trip, like 70 days, I mean, you get like a good, like couple months in the middle where it's like that. And, uh, it's the best. And, and, and that, I think that's what I'm like searching out now. And, um, and, and it's, it's hard to like, think like it, it's, you know, the way life's kind of progressed, like it's, it's a lot trickier to kind of get into a spot like that right now. And, um, but, but the, I mean, that, that's what I want back again. You know, that's like what yeah, I want to do. I, I, I totally get it, man. I, I totally understand. And that, that is the best is that, uh, yeah, that, that totally living in the moment and, uh, and like you said, it is harder to get it on some of the shorter trips because you come into it all riled up. It takes a few days to decompress and then you're done. And, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we've mentioned it a bunch, but just the people and the generosity for me, like the generosity of people in the middle of nowhere of, of people everywhere. And, uh, you know, the generosity of people just to help a stranger out like a random two dudes who float up on a canoe uh, and let us take their truck to the grocery store or, uh, you know, give us a bunch of salmon that they've uh, caught and canned and smoked and wh- whatever it may be. It's like, you know, people are good, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, that's an understatement. I mean, it's just, uh, it's amazing. 
really is amazing these people i mean they have nothing and they would give us anything we had people offer us money we had people offer us to ship us stuff down the river you know i mean anything we could have needed we, we could have gotten from people and and people would have given it to us happily yeah and, uh, yeah and, yeah it's a pretty awesome experience well jackson uh that was fun man it was fun talking about uh stories and uh Obviously, uh, we'll we'll get out and do some of the shorter trips, but uh, I sure hope we can we can make a longer one happen. Make make a longer one happen at some point, man. I I think we will. I, I feel one brewing. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I appreciate you you having me on your show, and um, you know it's a uh, I I never get to talk about it this long. Sicily's you know sick of hearing it about <laughs> it. All my friends are sick of hearing about it, and. Uh, uh, so it's nice to be able to like actually just kind of chat about it and actually be reminded of some of the things. Cause you know, like I said at the beginning, like you kind of get focused on these like few memories that for some reason, like really stand out, but there's all these other ones. And um, so now every, everyone should get out and do it. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a trip of a lifetime. Absolutely, man. All right, Jackson. Thanks, man. Uh, take care. And we'll, uh, we'll see you sometime down the line. And there you have it. Episode 43 with Jackson Hill is in the books. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. That really helps us out and helps new people find the show. You can find more info, buffaloroamer.com. Go check it out and go get some fresh air. Get outside. We'll talk to you later for the next episode of Buffalo Roamer Outdoors. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! <sighs> and this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.